This is Annie Stevens Gleason, Minister for Worship and Incorporation here at Church of the Redeemer. This is the fourth follow-up conversation in our Forum Lenten series, focusing on the work of becoming beloved community, the Episcopal Church's journey, and commitments to respond to racial injustice and grow a community of reconcilers, justice makers, and healers. We have Megan Hughes-Johnson, chair of our Becoming Beloved Community Steering Committee, to look back at this past Sunday's forum. Welcome, Megan. Good to have you again. It's great to be here again. Um, Why don't we take a look back, um, like we've been doing, at this past Sunday's session? This past Sunday was session four of our five-part series, and we um, were continuing to take a look at the first quadrant of the Becoming Beloved Community journey, telling the truth about the church and race. And um, I, I started by just acknowledging that one big piece of, of this, of telling the truth about the church and race, is to critically take a look at the way that we as white people have engaged race and racial difference in our lives. Uh, So in addition to thinking about the national landscape of um, race relations in our country, also starting to look at the personal and think about how we as individuals have engaged these concepts and this reality. So we did that in two ways. The first was a timeline exercise. So I asked people to um, uh, reflect on different prompts and think about the moment when that particular situation was true for them. And then uh, I got a few strange looks, but asked people to stand up and then move around the room and find their place on a a timeline of their life that reflected when that moment was true for them. So a few examples of of the prompts that people were responding to, I asked them to stand on the timeline um, that would represent the moment when they first heard the word racism. Um, I asked them to reflect on their first memory of a time when their racial or cultural identity was not the same as most of the people around them, and then also asked people to think about when they first had a meaningful personal encounter with someone from a different racial background, and uh, it was really fruitful. I think um, you could sort of see the, the group shifting back and forth as they thought about these moments in their lives, and then asked a few folks to share um, at each of those points and, and just give a little insight into that moment in their own life. And there was some, some really good, um, good reflections. Right. Right. It's interesting you say that I read, um, I just read Dear America Mm. and in it, he, he speaks to the idea of when he was in the Philippines, he says, um, I didn't know what racism was. Everybody was just American. We're just Americans mm. before I moved there. Mm. And he said that construct didn't even exist until I was put on a plane and sent here. Um, yeah. It was, it, was, it was really interesting to me. That is interesting. And that links to, so uh, Mitch Harrelson shared a story of when he lived in Brazil mm. and um, his encounter with um, racial difference there. And I asked the room how many for how many of you is the moment a moment when you were abroad Mm. and a lot of people raise their hand so it is interesting that for white people in America often the first time we think about race is not in our own country in our own cities it's often when we're in a different environment and we're reflecting back on oh this feels different this looks different right right um there were some responses at the end that um people were sharing what were some that that uh yeah share here 
Um, so a couple of people mentioned the differences in talking about race depending on geography in the United States. So how growing up in the North, um, it was uh, not you didn't talk about racial difference, racial identity. And then um, their family moved to Texas. And then all of a sudden, these conversations were everywhere. Uh, so just even the differences within our own country of um, how prevalent a direct conversation about racial identity is. Um, uh Someone else mentioned that they couldn't even remember the first time they heard the word racism because they grew up in a church that was really active in talking about and engaging with racial justice issues. So uh, she felt like this was just part of her vocabulary from a really young age. Um, another really beautiful story someone shared um, when I asked about share a moment of a personal, a meaningful personal encounter with someone from a different racial background. They shared about being on a swim team with people from different racial backgrounds, and in particular, an African-American woman, and how it was that that common interest in swimming and the um, sort of weekly practice that uh, gave them that that platform for a friendship to, to grow um, and shared just the interactions with um, her teammates and how that friendship had become meaningful to her. Um, so, it, yeah, it was great. It was great to hear people's reflections and thoughts on um, just when these moments have happened for them, both positive encounters and also encounters that made people really question and think and uh, be a bit um, uncomfortable. Right. I know this coming Sunday, it's John Mulholland, is that the correct? Jim Mulholland. Jim Mulholland. Um, and so it will be a different, a little different format than the last couple Sundays. Yes. So um, Jim Mulholland is coming this Sunday. I first met Jim because he spoke at a conference at Otterbein University in Columbus, and he was invited by um, a church there. So it was a partnership between the church and the university. And he uh, spoke and led a workshop called The Case for Reparations. Um, and I was really moved by how um, compelling his argument was for uh, a, that that our country needed to respond to the centuries of violence done against black bodies. And he um, uh, very sort of academically and unemotionally laid out a timeline of bigotry against uh, black people from the foundation of our country. And, and I, as someone who is becoming... Um, more aware of these issues and, and trying to educate myself um, was just really floored by um, just the volume of um, of this sort of racist history. And uh, he he started his journey into this work because through marriage he became the father of his black daughter and um, his experience of seeing the world through her eyes really opened him up to um, the work that needs to be done to make our, our society um, more equal and, um, and equitable. And uh, he's going to come on Sunday and share just the introduction to his story. And I hope we might invite him back in the fall to lead his, his longer workshop. Yeah, that would be great. All this conversation... Um, around becoming beloved community, I think is leading so leading us into just a place of even even just more conversation with each other. Yeah. Um, and I think going forward, that's that's uh, specifically with this podcast and with the, the church and um, things that are offered. I think it's 
looking forward just to just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful place. Yeah. So, um, is there anything else from this past Sunday that 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 um, that you want to share? After the timeline exercise, uh, we watched a short video that addresses the concept of colorblindness, and it's put out by the Seattle Times in a series called Under Our Skin, uh, which is really powerful. And the video is about five minutes long, and it's um, clips from different people of different racial backgrounds all responding to what do you think of when you think of colorblindness? What does this idea mean to you? And um, the the kind of big picture that's that's cast in the video is that um, there's this term that at one point was something to be lifted up um, and um, something to be um, sought out and sought after, which is that we don't see color because uh, we know that everyone is equal underneath our skin and it doesn't matter what our skin color is. So in order to treat everyone equally, we're going to try not to see their color, the color of their skin. But as one person pointed out, something that used to be our goal has now become our problem. And essentially, um, different voices of the people of color in the video were sharing that if you don't see my skin color, you don't see me. You don't see who I am. You don't see my culture. You don't see my identity. Um, in addition to... Um, if, if you choose that you personally are going to try not to see skin color and treat everyone equal, well, the schools see color and students of color are having lower outcomes in school. The prisons see color. There's more people of color incarcerated by far um, than white people. Um, it, all these systems around us see color so that both it's really actually not possible to not see color as an individual. We do see it. And these systems that are larger than we are, um, are, um, are seeing color in the way that they treat people. Uh, and so we had some, some good reflection. People shared in pairs, just sort of reflecting on how does this video make you feel? Um, is there something that's sticking out to you? And what has been your own personal experience with this concept? Um, and, and we tried to, to define the term colorblind together. So David Hafner um, started us off by saying, look, we can't pretend that we don't make assumptions about people when we first meet them based on what they look like. That's just the fact of human nature. It's what we do with those assumptions that matter. So how do we try to live beyond those assumptions? How do we acknowledge them? Um, but essentially, we can't deny uh, that, we, that we don't make snap judgments. And then uh, there are some other interesting reflections um, Mike Hardy shared that in a work setting where he was often on the phone and he couldn't see the other person, it was easy to find common ground to treat someone as equal when you aren't looking at their skin color so that when he knew later when he met people after the fact and uh, learned that he had been working with across the phone lines, people of color, he realized that it was by not seeing someone's skin color that he was able to have that initial sort of, um, you know, we didn't treat each other any differently. Uh, and that's a really interesting story, right? Because what it points out is that we do treat people differently if we can see their skin color, uh, right. even if we don't want to, that that's just part of, again, as David was saying, human nature. Um, so I thought that was an interesting sort of poignant moment to share. Um, and then Nancy Hodges also pushed a little bit and said, look, I don't want to see skin color because I want to treat everybody equally. And what about these really deep friendships I've formed with people of color who are um, who I see as as my my peers um, and as really meaningful relationships to me? 
And so we we sort of worked with that a little bit to say, look, the goal here is not to um, forbid relationships, uh, but rather to say we have to acknowledge reality here, which is that those relationships happen um, not despite skin color differences, but because we acknowledge them and they're part of of who we are and, and we relate to those people and love those people and have relationships with those people um, because of the fullness of who they are. They're holistic and whole people, and that includes their racial identity. Um, and so certainly we want to encourage that, but we want to encourage it in an open-eyed kind of way. It's um, so much of this becoming beloved community work is, at least from what I see, um, like refocusing our lens by which we we look at the world. Totally. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that to not negate any of the word or friendships that we have. But what does it look like if I do recognize that? Um, how can that be fruitful in my friendship? Like, how can that strengthen it? Yes. Um, so I think that's a a beautiful thing to take away from. Yes. That. Another thing you're making me think of is that it's white people have the ability to say, we don't see color. It doesn't matter. We're all the same. People of color, that that's not their starting place. Their starting place is everywhere I go, people treat me differently because of how I look. So there's no way to separate uh, who I am and how I'm experienced experienced in the world from the color of my skin. So in some ways, it's a it's a very different um, and um, privileged experience for white people to say, uh, we're all just the same. We're all treated the same. That's because you are in the majority and your the color of your skin doesn't um, cause people to question your motives or to, to treat you with suspicion, for example. I, I am excited for this journey to continue and in particular for us at Redeemer to really consider how we both find opportunities to be in true and meaningful relationship with people of color in our lives and as a community and to find ways for us to be standing up for racial justice in our society and to be putting our, our mouth and our feet where our hearts are. Uh, and I don't know what that looks like. So this is not a, you know, gotcha, we have this whole plan at the end. This is a, we're building this together. Um, but we know that we want to be acting um, for justice in our city. Um, and I'm excited to see what that looks like for us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for that. Thank you for listening and joining us on this journey. I invite you to join in this conversation in person on Sunday mornings in Lent at 11.30 at Church of the Redeemer in the Queen of the Midwest, Cincinnati, Ohio.